know, the, the, the idle mind will always be the devil's playground, but in the city of Chicago, the, the, the no uh, criminal um, charges is going to be the criminal playground. They just don't go after criminals here, and, and it's, it's sad. The Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. The lead in there was former or no current alderman, older person, Anthony Napolitano from the 41st Ward. That is a Fox News clip from February of 22, demonstrating the very thing we are talking about today with our guest. Napolitano is convinced of his beliefs, but has no evidence to back it up. No real evidence. And the contrarian evidence, the facts, the studies, the research, the data, disregarded completely. So today we talked to Sandy Goldberg, who is the Chester D. Tripp Professor of Philosophy at Northwestern University and a professorial fellow at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. So this is not directly 100% criminal justice related. And you say, well, what am I doing there with that? That's untrue. I assure you, this is going to get right at the heart of what we're facing in Chicago right now and the country, right? How do people come to form their opinions? How do they form things they know absolutely to be true? How do they do that? What evidence are they doing that on? Or are they not using evidence? Are they using shortcuts? Really quickly, if you're new to the podcast, please subscribe. If you're seeing this on YouTube, smash the subscribe button and like button. Appreciate that. You want to know more about what we do? ChicagoJustice.org. If you want to get involved in what we do, CJPNation.org. And if you want to help support our work, there's a link in the show notes to our Patreon. We'd really appreciate it. And as with this episode and all forthcoming podcasts, there will be a podcast extra, a section that's exclusively for our supporters available on the Patreon. Last week was our first one. We featured uh, a piece of our interview with former Inspector General Joe Ferguson. Go check that out. Support our work. We'd appreciate it. So what are we really covering today? It's basically epistemology. Complicated word. That means basically the investigation of what distinguishes, distinguishes justified belief from opinion. Another concept that we got from Professor Goldberg's op-ed in the Tribune, but we talk about on the pod today, the no news shortcut. How people use a shortcut to determine something and then whether or not, or I should say whether or not, but when that is justified and when it isn't justified, right? And as humans, as Americans, as people from Illinois and Cook County, Chicago, we do that with a lot of things that we shouldn't. And Professor Goldberg's going to talk to us today about how that's done and what the dangers are for that. So I will be back with you after the interview. Sandy Goldberg, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. So why don't you tell us, first off, what is your research about at Northwestern? So I am a philosopher. Um, The majority of my research is in an area known as epistemology or the theory of knowledge. I focus in particular on the social dimensions of knowledge, um, how it's generated, how it's uh, uh, transmitted, how it is evaluated. 
Uh, I also work a little bit in the philosophy of language, in particular in an area of philosophy of language known as speech act theory, which has to do with the types of actions we perform in speaking. So those are my main areas. God, has there ever been a more important time for your work? You between, are very gracious to say that. Well, between just like, we won't get into this fake news, what people think they know, um, QAnon. I watched a podcast on QAnon and the startup of QAnon. And the Anon just means anonymous because you have to post anonymously to wherever Fortran, wherever they're posting. So this person posted Q and then Anon is everyone that isn't, that's anonymous. It's after it. And people just picked it up as part of the name. It just drives me absolutely batty. Uh, as a criminologist and an academic and a person who's about transparency and facts, the absence of facts in our public discussion, just about everything now, it just um, just drives me crazy. And if I have to hear, I just know one more time, I'm going to go berserk. Okay, I found you through an op-ed in the Tribune. If you're listening to the podcast and you're new, hit subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, uh, subscribe and like. And the links to everything we talk about today will be in the show notes. So there's a phrase here. Uh, the absence of news is a subtle but pervasive problem and differ from fake news. All right, so how does the absence of news differ from fake news? Sure. So if you think about the, the what we might call the fake news problem, that's the problem of deciding uh, whether a given um, news item that you encounter, whether in traditional media or on online, whether it's true or false. That's a very traditional problem uh, in, if you like, in the theory of knowledge. Um, the problem that I'm trying to identify in this op-ed is the problem of how should we interpret the absence of news. And you might say the absence of news really doesn't get interpreted at all, but in fact it does get interpreted. Um, we tend to reason in ways um, that draw inferences from the fact that we haven't encountered any piece of news before. So, for example, the example I give in, in the, um, the op-ed is if I'm really concerned that my baseball team is about to trade its star pitcher and I don't hear any news, I immediately conclude that he hasn't been traded yet. Mm -hmm. And the reason I conclude that is because if he had been traded, I would have heard about it. So that's a clear example where we interpret the absence of news as giving us some information uh, on the basis of which we then we then make judgments. Right, and, and this also, this also to some degree, I'm gonna go back to my communications background a little bit. Um, you know, people think that some things are just a given, right, by like some being just created this language and we all know what that definition because it just is. It's not that we could change the definition because that would be right. It just is. And that isn't true. So um, I think we talked about this a little bit on email, but um, I experienced this in my work uh, when we did a, uh, we were trying to push an ordinance to reform the Chicago Police Board in Chicago. And I didn't all the walk into our, the first hearing we were testifying on it. And I was testifying at the time. And she, she goes, son, I don't understand. If it ain't broke, why are you trying to fix it? Right. Right. And I and I said, because it's broke. Oh, okay. And she got up and walked out. Never understood. I, I, I confronted or challenged the idea that it was broke because she thought it automatically, I haven't heard about it being broke. So it obviously isn't broke. I challenged it. She completely disregarded that and walked out. And I was like, wow. And that, that provides a lot of promise for society because to get your thing addressed, you have to be able to get it in the media and into public knowledge that it's broken if you're going to get something addressed. That's right. That's right. And the problem, um, the problem of knowing how to interpret the fact that we haven't encountered a piece of news, that becomes a significant problem when we um, add to the story that we're, we, we tend to inhabit 
communities that are very like-minded and, and are bubbles that, that include information from certain sectors, but not from others. So for example, as, as, a, as a white male, how confident can I be when I have beliefs about, for example, what's going on in communities of people of color? Well, depends, how good is my news? If my news does not report from those communities, then whatever I find myself believing may well be way out of date or simply false. So it's when we aren't aware of the actual facts regarding the kind of news we're of which we're getting coverage that we, we are in big trouble. And it sounds like the person you're talking about didn't realize that she was not on top of, <laughs> of news sources that were reporting the facts to her. And it's interesting, I'll bring this up now and then we're gonna talk at the end about some criminal justice stuff. You know, communities of color, for all, for as long as I was working in Chicago, would complain about their, the violence that occurs in their communities not getting coverage. And I would warn them that, I go, that's a double-edged sword because people are going to use it against you also. And now we're in an environment now where crime is so much dominating the coverage of everything. And what it's doing is pushing retrograde policies, right? Back, we're going to go back to the 1980s of policing. Unfortunately, I fear you are right. And um, I, as I mentioned to you in my email, uh, I, I teach at Stateville um, Convention oh, yeah. in, in Joliet. And I just yesterday just finished my last class for the summer. And we've been reading um, uh, chapters from the new Jim Crow. And this is certainly a point that Michelle Alexander makes in her book, exactly what you're saying, that when the news does come from um, these communities about the, the level of violence, it can be used actually to, to do things that um, that have adverse effects on, on these communities, um, uh, very much so. And so it's, it is a double-edged sword, as you say. Right, because people in underserved communities see violence in, in, in the more uh, wealthy parts of the city. Action is taken to stop whatever that problem is. They think, I get coverage, the, the solution will come. It doesn't, it's just more problems. Okay, so I think we've talked about it a little bit, but I want you to more clearly define, what is the no news shortcut? So it's the, it's the idea that when I don't get a piece of um, news that I can draw the conclusion that there's nothing of significance of that type to report. So for example, simple example, uh, I haven't gotten any piece of news saying that the Eiffel Tower has fallen down. So I immediately conclude the Eiffel Tower is still standing. Um, that, although it might not strike us that that's an inference that we draw, it is an inference that we draw and it's an inference that we draw from no news. And I call that inference the no news shortcut. And the real problem of the absence of news is to know when you can take the no news shortcut. Sometimes, as in the example of my uh, the sports team not trading my my favorite player, that shortcut is perfectly okay to to take. But in other times, as in the case that you gave with this woman from the Chicago um, uh, from from the political situation in Chicago, she took that shortcut, and that was not a good a good shortcut to take. So that's essentially what the problem is. Yeah. Big problems because a lot of our problems don't get in the news and they still need to be addressed. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the availability heuristic? I hope I'm pronouncing how impact and how it impacts our consumption of news sure. and information. Sure. So the availability heuristic. This is a um, this is a result from cognitive psychology, and it's a result that says if I ask you a question, um, the more easily that a, a certain piece of information comes into your mind, the more confident you are you're likely to be that, that that's right. So if I ask you, for example, what's the capital of Germany? You tell me, well, it's Berlin. And the reason you think it's Berlin is because Berlin is the first thing that comes to mind. It's, it's the most available piece of information. And so we naturally assume that the ease with which we can access a piece of information, the ease with which it becomes available to us, is an indication of how confident we are entitled to be. That's the availability heuristic. That heuristic serves us well in lots of cases, 
But what I argue in the op-ed is that it doesn't serve us well when we both have an available piece of evidence and we have no connection to the actual facts. That's when we get in trouble with the availability heuristic. Yeah, I mean, there's a quote in the big, the big short at the beginning that says, it's not what we don't know that gets us in trouble, it's what we know for sure. Right. That just isn't true. Now, they, they tagged that to some famous person in history, Mark Twain or something. I checked it out. It's not to them. But I do think that applies here. What you think you know for sure. Exactly. And you're confident. You... Exactly. It's when, it's when we have unwarranted. Another way to put it is when we have unwarranted confidence. Um, confidence is a great thing when it's warranted, when you've got evidence to back you up. But when you don't have evidence to back you up and you're, you're completely confident anyway, it can get in the way of things and it can cause great problems. Wow, yeah, that, that is America. We have so many people so confident of things. I mean, this applies to the big lie. I'm sure this is at least somehow applied to the big lie and QAnon. The more I read and, 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 and dig into documentaries about QAnon, I'm just unbelievably fascinated about how people could latch on to that and know for sure that the next thing comes. And they don't ever re, and maybe you can talk a little about this, that when confronted with realities... Like for QAnon, um, this is the new, uh, um, what is it, Kennedy Jr., John Kennedy Jr. is coming back. And Trump's going to put all the Democrats in the, uh, on a barge outside Guantanamo Bay. And this is coming, and this is coming, and this military guy's coming, and the military's rounding people up. All these things keep not happening, yet they keep the belief. Right. I, I would say the way I tend to think about this, um, I... The problem we confront here is actually a, a very general problem. It's, it's not a problem that's only faced by people in, in, in QAnon. It's that on the one hand, a lot of our information comes from other people, from what they tell us, either in the news or, or friends who are telling us. Sometimes they're reporting the news. Um, and getting information from other people can be a highly reliable way of getting information. It's also a, a way of getting information that all of us rely on. I mean, I can't tell you the extent to which I rely on, on information from other people for virtually everything that I know. Of course, the problem is that as soon as you put yourself in a position where you're getting a lot of uh, information from what other people tell you, you open yourself up to the risk of being taken advantage of. And now, unfortunately, we humans are not always very good at telling the difference between reliable and unreliable um, reports or reliable and unreliable statements. So that's that's the problem. QAnon followers tend to be very, very bad at distinguishing truth from falsity in, in these kinds of cases. All right, so let's, I want you to talk a little bit, if you can, about the partisan coverage filtering bias uh, from David Brockman and Joshua Kala, if I'm going to pronounce that right. Yes, so that, that's the bias that comes when we tend to think that, um, for example, the information that we're getting from the news, the news sources that we rely on is balanced and is uh, well, well representative of what's out there. It's a bias uh, because we know that there's no, no source of news can be fully representative of all the facts that are out there, including when it's actually a specialist in the area. So for example, even uh, suppose that I happen to follow, I'm a, I'm a fan of the, the New York Yankees. So suppose I follow a couple of sites of, of the New York Yankees. Those sites themselves may not give me all of the facts that there are. Each one may have its own distinct um, uh, set of things that it's interested in. If I take them to be giving me the whole range of all the facts that are out there, I will then exhibit a kind of bias in my thinking when I form beliefs on the basis of what they tell me. This is the kind of thing that, that these two political scientists are worried about. They're, of course, worried about it not in connection with sports, but in connection with, with politics and, and 
uh, other large, large matters before us. But that's the kind of bias that they're that they're very worried about. You know, in relation to my work and some of my listeners' interests, there's these issues in Chicago around crime and violence. And oh, we'll get to a little bit later. But just this over reliance on whatever the media is telling you is right. Whatever my media is telling me is right. That's right. Yeah. So liberals, they don't watch Fox News because it's horrible, it's slanted. But whatever media outlet they're watching, it's obviously right. And there's no need to ever question what they're getting. This is why I was deeply, deeply um, uh, impressed by a piece that, um, that Nicholas Kristof wrote. Um, I, th I think it was five or six years ago. Uh, I cited this in the, in the online version of the, of the op-ed about the decrease in um, world poverty over the past decade. Yeah. Um, and I pointed this out. This is a problem for anyone. I, I don't mean to be pointing fingers just at people on the right of the political spectrum or Trumpists. It's a problem, as you point out, for people who are on the progressive side of things. I guess the point I wanted to make um, is just that all of us should be attentive to this and sensitive to the fact that we are all drawing these inferences from the news that we that we get and from the news that we don't get. And we should be aware of that fact and be a little bit more self-critical. And that goes for all of us, not just QAnon followers, crazy Trumpists, etc. That goes for, for progressives as well as, as conservatives. Yeah, and I've, I, I watch a lot of left media, and I will sit here with my wife. My wife's a PhD economist, and she will criticize them on economic, uh, economic issues, and I will sit there and criticize them on criminal justice-related issues. And they were complaining about bail reform and all these things. I'm like, there's no difference than your complaint from what I'm saying if you're supposedly better than I would see in the mainstream media or the right. It's basically all the same complaint. Um, and we'll get to why we're going to get to that. I don't want to spoil that question. But, um, okay, I want to go back a little bit to the, the no new shortcut because you had yes. a couple of points on that. And sure. I want to talk about it real quickly, comment on each one of them. The first one, facts are readily available. So they're just assuming it's easy to know all the facts. Is that what that means? Yeah, so, so sorry, let me, let me just step back. A yeah, little please. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to point out the assumptions that we make when we follow the yeah, yeah. button. So what we're assuming is we're assuming that the facts we're interested in are gonna be readily available for those news reporters that are interested in, in discovering those facts. That's right. Yeah. Okay, um, the next one, reporters are competent. Right. <laughs> we're assuming we're assuming when we assume that, you know, when I take it that ah, my favorite player hasn't been traded because I haven't heard about it. I'm assuming that, well, if he had been traded, I would have heard about it. I would have heard about it precisely because the fact that he'd been traded would have been obvious to them and they would have been competent in recognizing that. That's right. And it's interesting. I, I, uh, I started using TikTok and for whatever in my feed are these guys who are breaking sports news and I've just gotten used to like not believing it. This guy's been traded. Oh, really? I go to ESPN. I don't believe you, but I'll go to ESPN to check it because if that guy got traded, it's going to be on the top of ESPN. That's right. No, it hasn't been traded. That's my that, that's my shortcut. If ESPN hasn't broken it, you aren't beating ESPN no matter who you are usually. Actually, I, I, I have to tell you, Tracy, I like, I like your way of, of um, approaching this. This is actually my way of approaching this as well, and that is – I do have about five or six, uh, I call them the, the media of record. And if I hear, uh, if I hear a, what, what I regard as a, um, what would you call it, like a, uh, I don't know, some piece of, of news that, that strikes me as very surprising, I will check this out with, with these four, five or six that I regard as reliable for precisely this reason. What I have learned, though, is that I've got to make sure that the, among my five or six are some, some on the left and some on the right, just because otherwise uh, we're... 
I'm likely to get a skewed view of things. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt, right? And um, it's hard to survive to some extent either way now to be in the middle of the road. CNN is going to be attempting it. They're getting rid of people and they want to be middle of the road. Um, I just would like more middle of the road that just called everybody out. I think that's what it is. I think CNN wants to cut out, call out less conservative stuff. That's what their goal is. And that to me is no, 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 no. You call out everyone, no matter who they are, for whatever they need to be called out for. That's, that's what we need. We don't need, oh, we're just going to be nicer to both sides. That doesn't serve us any good. All right, there's one more assumption. We would come across the relevant reports. Right. So I think that's a little bit of what we just talked about. That's right. So there is this really, really scary uh, news item that I read. I think I read this in The Guardian. I don't remember where I read this uh, that pointed out that. So Fox actually has a weather, a weather station. Um, I didn't know this until I read this paper, but Fox has a weather station. And it turned out that if all you did was got your weather from that, you would not ever suspect anything like global warming was going on. And so imagine that you are a person who gets your news from the only from the Fox, uh, the Fox station. You might well um, expect, look, if something like that had been the case, I would have come across it on Fox. Answer, no, you wouldn't have because Fox has a vested interest in not putting that news on. So that's another assumption that we make where that assumption could be wrong when we actually um, make the, the note shortcut. Okay. Um, before we get to the couple of crim, crim related questions I have for you, what role does social media play in making this better or aggravating these issues? Huge. In, in both respects. Um, I will confess to you, Tracy, uh, that's one of the questions that I've asked myself, and I think it's, it's such a grand um, question with so many dimensions that I'm not sure I can, I can um, fully work my way to clarity on it. But I'm, I'm not, I mean, everyone, all of us recognize that social media plays a large role in the dissemination of false news, fake news. Um, social media can also potentially play a very productive role. I mean, I'll look, I'll be honest with you, as a philosopher, I get a lot of my news of profession from social media, um, largely in my case from from Facebook, um, and it's it's highly accurate uh, and it, it keeps me apprised. And I I tend to know things pretty quickly through through Facebook. Question is how to keep the good things while getting rid of the bad. Well, that's the sixty four thousand dollar question. And if I had an answer to that, I would write a large grant <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter, and I would I would uh, scream until the cows came home so they'd listen to me. I, I, that's a question that I think a lot about, but I don't I don't have an answer. Okay, so do you have strategies? One more before we get into the crim. Do you have strategies people should employ to counteract their their like are in in uh, ingrained in us uh, wanting to use the no news shortcut? So the strategies that I have are strategies that I think are good for lots of our our um, informational problems these days, and that is diverse. I think we do have um, we have. A, to call it a duty is to, is to make it sound very, very sober-minded and very serious, but maybe that's the way to do it. We have a duty to diversify our news sources. I do think that's true. I also think it's good to hang out with people who are very open-minded and who are willing to call into question the received wisdom, whether it's on the left, as in, in many of my circles, or on the right. Um, it's important to do that. The last thing that I would say, um, and it's it's hard to, to know exactly how to, how to frame this, um, I have this thought that every one of us uh, on some regular basis, should try on views with which we don't agree and argue them as well as we possibly can. Say, take a, a day, a, I don't know, a day, a year, and just a try on views with which we don't agree, but do our level best to try to argue for them. I think what that will do is it will give us a better sense of what's reasonable about them, what's unreasonable about them, 
Um, and uh, that will also help us understand what's reasonable about our own views and, and what's unreasonable about our own views. Um, of course, that presumes that we have a lot of inf good information to go on, but um, I think it, it's helpful in in seeing what kind of tensions we have in our own belief system if we do that every so often. It's, it's just good intellectual grooming. Wow, people trying on other views. That's asking a lot of Americans I, these I, days. I know, it is. I know it um, is. Okay, so we're back. Fascinating interview, right? You think about it, we all do it, and I think Professor Goldberg's example about the Eiffel Tower obviously hasn't fallen. I would have heard about it. My team hasn't made that big trade. I would have heard about it. But when we extend it, and I call it in criminal justice field and in, in the criminal justice system, I call it function creep. We all do it. These things always happen. Oh, I just do it on this and this, but I don't do it for the rest of my life. That's untrue. Those things usually, not always, but usually slip. And you start using it for things you shouldn't. When you're relating it back to the big lie in the election and the coup, or whether or not you're relating it back to whether or not you should trust the media at whatsoever, that's another issue. All of that plays in, right? You hear media reporting that's contrary to a belief you know is true, even though you don't have any facts to base it on. Nope, can't do it. Mayor Lightfoot constantly lying about bail reform. The mayor and the superintendent lying about bail reform all the time is to blame. There seems to be evidence that they were lying about teenagers being the cause of all the violence. Right? This happens every day in Chicago. You're getting it now with the election. Well, we've had it for months and years now that Lightfoot, a couple years Lightfoot's been in office. But every aldermanic challenger, right, in the aldermanic seats, city council seats, and every mayoral challenger has all the solutions to crime and violence. It is always as bad as it possibly could be under the current person, and they're always going to fix it until they get in office, and then it's some, there's some other reasons why they can't be fixed. Right? That is just how this works. And we're going to be inundated with now, and we're inundated with the Paul Vallis, Ray Lopez uh, mayoral candidates, Willie Wilson be, will be doing it. They're all going to be attacking Lightfoot on crime and violence and her, her response. Last year, she bumped them up a couple hundred million in funding, basically for the Academy. She's just announced today on Wednesday, August 24th, as we're recording this, that she's bumping up their their budget again. Okay, probably to get it reelected, I would bet. But what the hell is she doing? How is someone who ran the police... Accountability Coalition doing that two years in a row. It is at least part, if not in whole, trying to undercut what is coming from, forthcoming in the election. Right? And you look at Vallis and you look at Lopez supporters, if you were talking to them in a conversation, I doubt you can get any facts from them to back up their positions. When we had Ray Lopez on the show... We talked about bail reform, and he ripped it, and I said, can you please explain to me? The alt-right in Chicago didn't, they tracked at 100 and some shootings last year from supposedly bail reform. And I said, let's boost that up to 200. Well, there were like 3,750 shootings in Chicago last year, so why are you going after something at best may have caused or be involved in some degree with 200 instead of the other 3,500? because it makes good news. It makes a good headline. It allows them to have a line that gets in the media, that gets out to people, and it allows them to justify their no news shortcut. Right? 
It allows them to feel good and say that's all the that's all the that's all I need. He said it. He agrees with me. It's obviously all that program's fault or Kim Fox's fault. That's it. That's what Napolitano off the bump at the beginning. He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. And when you hear these complaints from cops, it's just um, let me go back a little bit. But if you look crack the crack epidemic, such as it was in the late eighties, early nineties, and you look at cr- the 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 supposed massive problems we had with crack babies, babies born addicted to crack. Well, the New York Times on their retro retro report section, go back and dig into that. The doctor that diagnosed it had no clue what the hell he was doing. He had no experience in diagnosing that with juveniles or babies whatsoever. He had no idea what the symptoms of crack addiction would be or crack exposure. And more importantly, he had no idea what fetal, the symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome. But it ran wild, right? And all of a sudden, police were reporting all these babies being born addicted to crack all over the country, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Well, there weren't. In fact, there was no evidence any of them were addicted to crack or on crack or exposed to crack. There was no evidence that most of them were exposed to crack. There wasn't. The reality is what ended up happening is the babies were actually experiencing fetal alcohol syndrome. It was alcohol. The reality is most of the women, most of the women who were thought to have used crack or had used crack were also using other substances like alcohol. But it ran wild. Everyone knew for sure those were the facts. It ran wild. It's no different today with bail reform. Everyone's convinced bail reform is the devil. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, the the Chicago Tribune has published great article after great article, just totally looking at the data and saying, no, it isn't bail reform. It isn't bail reform. You're nuts. Loyola University published two studies. It isn't bail reform. The The second study showed that from 2016 to 2000, I think 21, Kim Fox's office, or 15 to 20 or 16 to 21, Kim Fox's office was the hardest of any prosecutors on sentences for gun offenders, violence offenders, not possession, violence, right? Who used it in the commission of a crime. We're in a situation where it's getting very dangerous. You see it with the big lie and everything. We just are looking for that little piece of something we hear from a politician or a news person that we can latch onto or a talking head that we can latch onto and run with. And this is it. This is why it, it, it's just so damn important that we, we fight back and we beat this stuff. And it, like my work in Chicago Justice Project and transparency becomes kind of meaningless if people are just going to latch on to sound bites and no matter what they're confronted with, no matter what facts they're confronted with, they won't ever change their minds. That is very dangerous. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Once again, in the show notes, hit our Patreon link. Become a supporter. Get the extras every week. And it's either uh, extras from the podcast, behind-the-scenes videos about our transparency and litigation strategies, status of our litigation, all of that's going on. There's usually a post about once a week. We will be taking a break next week, both from the Patreon and from the podcast, and possibly the week after I'm going to visit some families, so whether or not I have the availability is in question right now. Um, Our next guest coming up, and I want to get this for you. I know we have an interview set. 
with a reporter from Reuters, and I'm getting it right now. It is with um, Julia Hart, and she talks, uh, we're going to talk about right-wing uh, extremists as police trainers, and that's happening all over the country. So that's next, but it'll probably be a couple weeks before we post that. I may post one in between, depending on my availability while I'm actually in Chicago seeing family for the first time in a long time. All right, thank you. I really appreciate it.